Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And welcome to episode 31 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Joe Brand, and we're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. I covered baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. And you can find us both on Twitter. I am at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore Brand1. None of our tweets have been flagged by Twitter for having false election information. At least, not yet. You can rate and review the pod. We love it when you do it. Subscribe, rate, review. You know how it works. It helps us get the podcast moving to people who want to listen to it. And you don't have to tell your friends about this cool new podcast you listen to because the algorithm does it for you. You can still tell your friends, though. Every show, we cover the Cubs. We cover the White Sox. No particular order. But we got a lot of big stories in and around baseball. What with the non-tender deadline, essentially creating... Uh, what would probably be a 500 team out of guys who just got non-tendered. Hey, a little bit of breaking news here on the Baseball From Home podcast. We're going to talk about Len Casper being hired by the Chicago White Sox to be the new play-by-play voice on the radio. We'll do that right after you hear a little bit about Team Hochberg. None of this, not a word, would be possible without David Hochberg and all the fine folks at Team Hochberg. They helped me put a roof over my head. They probably would have helped me build the place, too, if I'd, if I'd asked them. But instead, I just asked them to help with the financing of everything. They did the mortgage. They were absolutely fantastic. It was my first time buying a home, and they knew each question I was going to ask before I even asked it, which means they had all the answers. They spent the time to get into my background, so they knew where I was coming from in this whole journey. If you are looking into buying or refinancing a home, you should call Team Hochberg. They are fantastic. You will regret nothing. Call them at 855-56-DAVID or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS 1124061. So full disclosure time, Joe. You and I finished the podcast over 24 hours ago. We had some news come up in the interim. This is like a we're just we're doing 10 minutes on Friday night is what we're doing. So you're getting 10 minutes of this, and then we'll return you to the regularly recorded Baseball from Home pod. Joe, some huge news late last night. And I know you and I both found out as the story was coming out. Len Casper is the new voice of the Chicago White Sox radio broadcast. He's one of the best five in the business. It is an incredible grab by the White Sox radio broadcast. Pairing him with Darren Jackson will be awesome. And between Jason Benetti and Steve Stone and Len Casper and Darren Jackson, I don't know that there's another team that ha- maybe the Mets, but I don't know that there's another team that has a broadcast top to bottom that's as good as the White Sox. It's remarkable. 
When the Chicago Bulls hired Adam Amin earlier this year, I tweeted out, and I feel very strongly about this, that Chicago sports fans are just so spoiled with play-by-play talent. It's almost like a clinic when, when you really look down the line with, with Joniak, with Benetti, with Chuck Swirsky, now Adam Amin. I mean, the list goes on and on with Weideman and Pat Hughes and whatnot. Um, but the – and I – Yes, it completes it, but since Len Casper was all already part of that circuit, you just move him and, and put him over there. You're right. Uh, the only team I could compare the White Sox overall broadcast team with now is is maybe the San Francisco Giants. They're, they're one of the, the top ones. I totally agree with you with the Mets, with, with Howie Rose and Wayne and Gary Cohen. Um, but yeah, for anybody listening to this podcast, it's only $20 to by the audio package on ML, MLB.TV, well, MLB app, at that app, so free little plug for them. It's the funnest thing to do when you're a baseball fan, and especially a baseball broadcasting fan, because you can just hop around from broadcast to broadcast. And now people are really going to understand what makes Len Casper so great, and it's it's just such a cool, interesting story because he came in to the Cubs job in 2005 as a guy that's not from here, which I think surprised a lot of people. And you also got to think, he replaced Chip Carey, and Chip Carey replaced his grandfather. So you're looking at, I'm trying to do the math quickly in my head right now, I think it's like 22 years of the Careys doing Cubs baseball. So that's a very intimidating thing to do. And what I liked about how when he approached the Cubs job, he didn't come in right away trying to reinvent the wheel, trying to act like he had been here the whole time. And he really gained the trust and the fandom of Cubs fans throughout his entire tenure. I mean, we're both students of the broadcasting world, especially on the baseball side. I mean, Len Casper, yeah, he's almost 50 years old now, but his voice matured. I mean, everyone talked about the Aramis Ramirez walk-off homer against the Brewers in 2007 when his voice cracked, and it's just it's so cool to see that happening in his early going, and then the Chris Bryant, Javier Baez walk-off homers when he just nails it, when it's just a more growl tone of his voice rather than, you know, being surprised by the moment, and uh I just think I think Chicago fans are are spoiled even more because they get to see him do both mediums now. Yeah, and and he's a, you know, you and I both know Len a little bit. Um, I had him on the show for for two years, and and you certainly know him in broadcasting circles. Len was really helpful to me when I started on the White Sox pre and post game show back in the day. I had a couple of questions, and Len was there, and I asked him a few. Um, he he has a passion for baseball on the radio and i think for a lot of people who were surprised by the move and i you're every right to be surprised i certainly was when i found out about it but filtering that through the little bit that i know len casper this makes a lot of sense that's a guy that is truly fueled by passion and to be in a spot both with his young family and you know here in the city where you just get to go and you know, essentially do the same thing you've been doing and been great at doing for a decade and a half and then just do it in a different medium, one that you're incredibly passionate about. What a what a what an amazing career that guy will have had when it's all said and done already has. Uh, but what an amazing career. And at this point, like we'll just 
in 15 years or whatever it is, the man will win the Ford C. Frick, right? I mean, that's just, that's a done deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is now his fourth team, technically, because he started with the Brewers. When you when you say that it surprised us and it surprised a lot of people, I think it surprised everybody. I don't think anybody saw this news and said, oh, it's about time Lancaster switched <laughs> over to radio on the other side of town. But I, I think that's just what makes this move so iconic. Um, it's it's definitely a unique thing where here in Chicago, there's been so many baseball broadcasters that have done it from both sides of town. And for the most part, it's been from the Sox going on to the Cubs. And in this case, it's the inverse. But it, it just it came down to Len's love for radio. And for anybody that got to see his press conference when the Sox made it official, he got very emotional because he began this dream as a 12-year-old kid in Detroit listening to Ernie Harwell. That was his idol. That was the guy that he reached out to when he first got the Marlins job, when he first got the Cubs job, and then when he realized, I can't tell my hero about this gig where he basically went for it because of that person. He got really emotional, and I think that's when it – if there's anyone out there that's still saying, oh, it was the Cubs not giving him enough money or he's he's sick of what's going on in the north side, it's like, no, you have to watch this video and understand right then and there that this had nothing to do with money, had nothing to do with what team. It just had to do with Len Casper wanting to live out his dream and not wanting the opportunity to pass up. And I guess the only other alternative is waiting for Pat Hughes to retire and, of course, that that's probably likely more towards the near future than anything. But this was something at hand right here. He already had a relationship with Brooks Boyer and, and the Chicago White Sox and Jason Benetti. They, they both love each other's work. So he decided to strike while the iron was hot, and he's going in it with no regrets. And it's, it's, it's just so iconic, I think. I, I think we're all going to talk 20 years from now like, yeah, remember when that happened? Wasn't that so bizarre? It's just it's it's so fresh right now. It's still so raw. Soon we'll all get accustomed to it and used to it, but it this is something kind of monumental that happened in Chicago broadcasting sports. Uh, it really is. It it really truly is. Um on on the other side of things, you know, the the Cubs as it's been reported have Chris Myers who was Len's fill-in last season on the Marquee Network, though I don't know that I, I didn't see much of Chris Myers on the Marquee Network this past year. Um, I didn't see much of the Marquee Network, unfortunately, this past season just because of everything that, that went on. Um, but I you know, I, I don't know whether, that's, whether Chris is going to be the guy or not. He's certainly capable of doing a broadcast. I, I know the names, and I know, Joe, I know you do too, but... You know, if they're not taking a long, hard look at a guy like Wayne Randazzo in New York, if they're not really thinking about Mike Farron out west with the Diamondbacks, then I, I would hate for them to miss up on the miss on those opportunities because those are two really talented broadcasters who are ready to step into a, a larger role, a television role, and and guys that you can grow broadcasts around. You know, I, I think that's what's so exciting about the White Sox having gotten Benetti when they did, and even Len to a certain degree, like. There is a, a personality there and a human that you that the broadcast will grow around. I would like to I would like to see the Cubs do the same with with you know one of the two guys I mentioned or someone very similar in that ilk. I think the the word you bring up personality is the biggest part because Chris Myers is a 
professional. He knows how to do a game. He has the experience. He he checks those boxes. But I mean, he's he's mainly on the network side of things, if I'm not mistaken. And what it seems like what was supposed to happen in 2020 is he was going to fill in for Len when Pat Hughes took games off. Len was going to fill in for Pat, and Chris was going to fill in for Len, and that's how that was going to go. Once it became a 60-game season, all that went pretty much aside. But I think, look, it's the Chicago Cubs, and it's the Chicago Cubs TV broadcaster. It is one of the top three jobs in baseball broadcasting, if not top two, if not top one. It's just, that's what it is. So I think the marquee network wouldn't be doing the right thing if they just went ahead and went with a person that they had in mind rather than doing a full-on search because when they hired Len Casper, that was a full-on search. And Len Casper, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't even the number one guy that they wanted. It seems like there were a few other guys involved. I think Dave O'Brien's name was there, but he couldn't get out of a contract. I, th- I think Matt Vaskersian was up there too, and it turned out working for all three parties involved. But it's just such a big, prestigious job with so much held on to it. I think you have to do that just for just for respect out of out of the sport, out of the job, and out of the, out of the Cubs fan base yeah. too. It's you have to just make sure you leave no stones left on. Flipped, no stones left uncovered. What? What am I thinking? I think of? turned. I think stones are left unturned. I think unturned. Yeah, okay. you can still flip a stone. You could flip though. a stone. I mean, you could flip a stone. Yeah. I flipped a stone in my day. All right, cool. I'll change it to any stones left unflipped. We'll leave it there. Sure. And we'll just change it all. That's fair. Uh, but, but yeah, long story short, you got to make sure you do your due diligence when hiring for this job. I agree. I I think, you know, if Joe Davis wanted this job, you know, I, I think. Well, let me put it this way. Wouldn't Joe Davis even want this job? Wouldn't Charlie Steiner want this job? How do you? I like Charlie Steiner. And the Dodgers are really another team we probably ought to mention with like top broadcast. I like Charlie Steiner on a baseball broadcast. I really like him. I know he's not everybody's cup of tea, but I'm a big fan. He's, I, I mean, I, I, so now I've moved on to the, to the point where I respect the people that have, the broadcasters that have made their own identities like a Hawk Harrelson type. Sure, you know, it's, sure. It's, of course, he's not your prototypical broadcaster, but man, is he unique. And man, is he just himself. And I know right. he's polarizing, but there are a lot of people that love him. So there's something to be said about that. The Joe Davis thing intrigues me because I, I think that was his childhood dream too, the Cubs gig. But he's replaced Vin Scully, and uh, he's got a lot of great work with Fox, so I, I don't know if he wants to mess that up. The Charlie Steiner thing, I think he's just closed more on his way out. Um, no, I, I think you're right. Don't get me wrong. I just, I just kind of wanted to bring up Steiner. Um, but but Steiner went to Bradley, right? He's from I think he's from, I don't know if he's from Peoria, but I'm pretty sure he went to Bradley. No, you're right. Yeah, he went to, yeah, you're right. He went to Bradley. I got in a long conversation with Brian Beto about it way back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, another fantastic Bradley alum. Um, and, and we should mention, of course, uh, with all this prominent news of Len Casper, obviously Andy Mazur uh, is, is a guy that's that's out of the job. And He's he's been a very good person to me. I know we've both worked with him in some regards, and uh, again, just a, a stone cold pro knows what he's doing. Uh, did a great job in 2020. So, so that is to be said that th- this is a guy that missed out on a baseball job. Uh, I don't think it's the end of the road for him by any means, though. But it's it's definitely a frustrating process. So, <clears throat> thoughts go out to him in in that aspect. But um, 
I, going back to, let's say, an Adam Amin, is that a guy willing to do both Bulls and Cubs? I would think so because it's the Bulls and the Cubs. Yeah. Um, so th- there's a lot of candidates out there. And, and, again, it comes down to it just being such a big job that you really can't leave anyone out for not a possibility of getting it. Well, yeah, and I, and I wonder, too, like how much they'd like, you know, now that they get to pick a different play-by-play person for that television network, it is a television network that they get to grow, you know? You can pick someone who can do some studio work or is interested in doing studio work, being parts of those shows. And not that Len wasn't interested in doing those things. I just think with, you know, between it being the first year of the network, having trouble getting placed on cable in time, a pandemic that uprooted the entire plan, they didn't get a chance to do what they wanted to do on that network for a whole host of different reasons. So now that you're picking someone, you know, don't you want to have the ability to have the Len Casper show on the marquee network? You know, obviously Len's moved on, but the Wayne Randazzo show, the Joe Davis, yeah, I, I think that's something that would help grow the content there. And you got to pick the right person to build that around, it can't... I'm of the belief that that as baseball teams begin to reshape their broadcasts over the next 10 years or so, God willing, global warming allows us to have 10 years of baseball, that, that the broadcasts are going to be reshaped too. It's going to become more of a more of a wide-ranging enterprise than just, good evening, welcome to Cubs baseball on the marquee network, and, and then signing off after the ninth. That's what makes the White Sox, the Mets... And I don't know too much about the Giants TV broadcast, but that's what makes them unique, and that's what makes them very productive because they're doing things outside the box, and they're doing things that are creative. And let's face it, we're in a world right now where attention spans are shorter, and people are on their phones while they watch the game, and it's nice to have on in the background, but you, you want to embrace that audience on a consistent basis so you do have to dance a little bit and entertain the viewer so to your point yes absolutely you you would you would think that the hire would be somebody that's fully invested in not just calling the game but really expanding what marquee network is and what cubs baseball is and finding out ways to to make sure that people are saying, no, I am not buying that cable program unless they have marquee because, oh, I could just pay attention to the game on StatCast or on the MLB at Bad App, audio-wise. You know, people have that option, but if you give them something that they can only get on marquee, it makes that all more unique and all more a product that they crave. Or even, you know, and this is a conversation for maybe a different time, but even through a VPN, I mean, there, there are ways to just, fiddle with your router and get your cable networks that it, like that that these organizations and that these networks haven't figured out the workarounds for that or or the the capitalization of that and I hope they don't because I don't think it's fair that the, the way the way television works right now but there there are workarounds to get what you want to watch even if you're you're in the network it's just it's very strange and I I hope I hope that places like Marquee who have just started want to be as forward-thinking as as a lot of baseball fans want these broadcasts to be. Uh, Joe, I'll just say it. Really appreciate the insight on, on the broadcasting side of things, man. You are yourself a stone-cold pro and broadcaster. Um, and if folks haven't checked out Joe's work on, on the broadcast, you absolutely should. The man can call innings one through nine, I promise you. 
Um, so, and, and truly your, your insight here in, in this little conversation has been really helpful for me. Some things I didn't know. Well, well, thank you. Um, don't forget in 2017, you, uh, gave me the opportunity to, to get some mock tape at us cellular field, which it was called at the time. So I, I'm forever grateful for one of my first MLB mock tapes. Um, Honestly, man, this is it's it's just what I love. I, I think I almost love the broadcasting aspect more than the actual sport. Um, it's it's kind of what drew me to the sport as a kid. I mean, I would go home and turn on the game, yeah, to see what the Cubs and Sox were doing, but more to see why Chip Carey said this or why Hawk Harrelson said that. Um, just because I I love the idea of painting a picture of something that's going on and just adding to it, complimenting it, and doing all that live, unscripted, and all you could do is just prep yourself up for it the best way that you can. And when it comes down to it, your personality makes that call. So that that's what I've always fallen in love with. It's a rush like no other, man. It really is. It's a drug that nobody wants to quit. Uh, Joe and I will now return you to the stuff we talked about last night. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Home Podcast. There's more on the Cubs and White Sox to come. So, Joe, the non-tender deadline has come and gone. And and like I mentioned, there are some darn good ballplayers who are non-tendered and are now looking for deals that in other years, you know, would not have been. Guys that just make sense to hang on to in a roster because maybe they provide you the thing you've been waiting for them to provide for a while. They're... They're on the street now and looking for new opportunities. And it it really sucks. It's just kind of this under for me, it's this underline of of how bad a place baseball is in financially, or at least some owners have chosen to be in financially. It's a tough one. It's definitely tough, but this is all also just a result of what's been going on in 2020 as well. And I I think the the worst, I shouldn't say the worst part. Uh, another bad part of this whole thing is that this just kind of shows that more things are going to take longer. I I almost wonder, where is there more uncertainty in the baseball and baseball business world? Is it right now? Is it right now, early December? Or was it before they were able to figure out a season over the summer of 2020? Because, yeah, there were a lot of unknowns back then. But there was this pressure to get the season started and try to salvage as many games as you possibly can. Now, there's talks of a vaccine. So does vaccine maybe help fans in the stands? So that alters how much teams are willing to pay players. But, oh yeah, we still don't know if there's going to be a designated hitter, which creates a new opportunity for basically every team, or at least 15 more teams in Major League Baseball. So... Again, these are all questions that need to be answered, and with the uncertainty of all these things being answered, we don't know when we get the answers for these things. It's it's an endless cycle right now. So I wonder if you're thinking that if if you're a free agent, right? If you're sitting around waiting for a contract, are you more likely, are you saying that you're more likely to wait to accept offers from owners, from teams? until you know there's a vaccine because that offer could go up if the ownership knows that they're going to be able to put butts in seats? I don't know so much it's it's that cut and dry, but it again, it, it's at least some type of answers. I, I mean, we were talking before the show, guys like Kyle Schwarber, guys like Adam Duvall, guys like Eddie Rosario, 
they might have a different situation if National League teams know that they can have a designated hitter for 2021. I, I get it, Eddie Rosario's in the American League, but again, that is a spot for guys like these to have a landing spot, and teams don't want to take that leap right away because of the uncertainty of, of what the rules look like for 2021. Again, I don't know if it's so much, all right, we got a vaccine, let's uh, let's sign Kyle Schwarber if if we're team, you name it. But again, there's, there's just so much uncertainty that how do you know of what approach to take then? Yeah, I think all things being equal, you know, the vaccine would be a, a tide that lifts all ships. You know, I mean, it, you, you could see how money goes up some, but ownerships would still probably complain about the money lost from the 2020 season, even though baseball as an entity decided, well, we're going to haggle and argue about all these games we want to play, but really we're only ever going to play 60 games. Don't worry about all this back and forth that we're doing. I, you know, the DH rule is the one that kills me right now. Like I, I, I understand that there's a collective bargaining agreement that got completely blown out of the water by COVID and, and all of the different things that had to happen to make a season happen the way it did. That's the most understandable thing about this off season that, that both sides now have no idea where they want to be on a new CBA. I get that. That makes a lot of sense. And I can't throw shade at major league baseball or the Players Association, which I would love to do, but I can't because it makes sense. But how is there no conversation about the DH rule for the National League? I mean, Nelson Cruz, yeah, he's 40 years old, but he also mashed homers for the Twins last year. He's making the right call by saying, I'm not signing anywhere until I find out whether there's a DH in the other half of the league because I can think of another 15 teams that would love for me to try and, and hit home runs in their ballpark next year and not have to play any defense. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And to me, it's just not the bargaining chip that, that some have thought that it is for Major League Baseball, right? I mean, it's just, oh, we're going to hold out on giving you a DH until we get our way on a couple of, th- like, what, what, what are you getting for handing out a DH to 15 teams? It doesn't make sense. Wow. Well, I, I literally put down, I think it is the bargaining chip, why MLP. And, and it is, it probably is, like it's being used that way. Just what is its value? Like What what do they really think they're going to get for finally saying, you get a DH now? What is that worth? I guess it's, it's somewhat guaranteed more money for the players because, again, that's 15 other teams that create this landing spot for a certain type of player. So with MLB holding on to that, then they can use that for anything that they're trying to get across over on the player's side. Here's the one thing that really sucks is that if that's the case, if they're using that as a bargaining chip, what are we doing with the rules? Because it goes from no DH in 2019 to DH in 2020 to no in 2021 to back to the universal DH in 2022, uh, which, again, just totally murkies up the water of the next collective bargaining agreement between the players and the union. So with, with each day, this isn't implemented, and it's got to be driving teams nuts Oh because, yeah, because what we just said. Um, so until that's implemented, again, I, I think this adds to the standstill of players signing for certain teams and teams willing to give players certain money because they don't know the rules yet. Well, that's the thing. The cost of that bargaining chip to Major League Baseball is is gumming up the front office of every single team, not just the NL teams, every single team. 
And those front offices look at the owners who are ostensibly using Rob Manfred as their guy. Looks, They all look at the owners and go, guy, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Right. I don't have the rules. I need the rules. Rob, what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's... I, it doesn't make much sense. Like, I get that it is a bargaining chip and that it's being used that way. I, I just think the value of it and its use is is minimal at best. I, I don't think it's a good call by Major League Baseball to do it this yeah, way. Yeah, I guess you're right because the whole – I mean, everyone gets hurt. Everyone gets hurt in the process. But but maybe is it – I don't know. Is, is it less damaging for the owners because it's their money anyway, so they're going to do what they want with it? Now you're just kind of leaving the players out to dry? Maybe, yeah, maybe. I suppose you could excuse it that way. It's not, you know, it doesn't feel good at the end of the day. Like explaining it that way doesn't feel great, but you can do it that way if you want. Yeah, I think you're right. So Kyle Schwarber is no more, and one of the players that, uh, well, I mean, he's not like he's not gone. He's not left us or anything. He's still he's still here. He's still lovable. He's still a large adult son, and will be exactly that for someone somewhere. Um, but he is looking for a job. He's out there looking for work, like like so many. <laughs> I, I wonder. I I wonder thinking back through you know the whole saga that was 2016. The will he, won't he on the roster against Cleveland? Like I, the guy. It's so strange that the whole 2016 team is so strange because they are all missed. They are all legends. None of them should ever ever pay for a drink or a meal in the city of Chicago ever again, unless they're, you know, unless they're going like 35th and Shields area and stuff. And then they got to pay for everything probably twice. But like I, and yet there are still some who are going to look at Kyle Schwarber and go unfulfilled potential and, and, and hold something against him. Despite the fact that they don't win without him. They just don't. I think that whole unfulfilled potential thing will will go down for the majority of this core, though, because it's it's one World Series in 2016, and then slightly downhill for every year after that. Uh, but when we did the Theo Epstein and John Lester podcast, I mean, we we have to talk about the recognition of who they were for the Chicago Cubs, and clearly Kyle Schwarber is in that list. It was just so. It was so Disney-esque of 2016 where all of a sudden there's rumblings once the Cubs advance to the World Series. Oh, well, you know, Arizona or uh, Kyle Schwarber's been in the Arizona Fall League. So he's he's getting in his, his at-bats there. He, he really could become available. No, no, there's no way. There's no way. And from the moment he stepped in the batter's box in game one and sent a deep fly to right field, it was, okay, the Cubs were incredibly wise to select this guy and incredibly wise to get him game ready for a World Series, which is something that seemed more than a dream at the time that this guy could actually come up and play. But yeah, his his story and his presence in this 2016 World Series is just it's just a little bit more magical than than all the other players. So I think that's why it'll kind of go down as a, a soft spot in Cubs fans' hearts as well. I, I think the whole idea of, you know, the story of I'm effing catching in the major leagues, that's what I want to do, and winning over the hearts of Theo and Jed. But, again, it seems like Kyle Schwarber was very much a Theo Epstein guy. And like we said in the last podcast with Theo Epstein leaving – it makes these decisions just a support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. 
Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. A little bit easier for Jed Hoyer to just cut ties with. Um, I will say it's it's got to be the most surprising. I mean, any, any non-tender article you read online, Kyle Schwarber is the thumbnail. Kyle Schwarber is the picture on that story. And, yeah, yeah. you know... Yeah, there's the inconsistencies that he had. I kind of forgot about his surge in the second half of 2019. I know he progressed ever since moving down to the minors, but what I really wonder about, and and if you want to jump back to you know the great things of Kyle Schwarber after this, that's fine. But what what it seems like to me is that Jed Hoyer and the Cubs front office just have no faith in Kyle Schwarber for 2021. Because if you really want to look at the bare bones of it, are the Cubs winning the World Series in 2021? Probably not. Is the front office okay with that? Do they believe that? Do they fully believe that? I would hope so. So I understand not being able to trade Kyle Schwarber right now. I get that. I understand that's that's what's going on with guys like Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario. That's what the DH uh, uncertainty is playing a role in right now. So then why not? bite the bullet, pay the $8 million or whatever it is this year, and just try to move them at the trade deadline. If By doing this, it tells me that the Cubs have zero faith in his success. I should say this, zero faith in his success as a Cub in 2021, because he totally strikes me as one of those guys that can go with a, a scene change, uh, just a new environment, and go and rake. And that is, can very well happen. That's the way I see it. I don't know. Is is that totally wrong for thinking that way? No, I, I don't. I don't think it's wrong. I also think it it talks. It, it shows a reticence of the Cubs front office or or management or ownership or whatever to have nine million dollars on the books in Kyle Schwarber. I, I think the price tag itself 
has a lot to do with talking about the value of the player on the field. And unfortunately, you know, I'm with you. The baseball move here is to is to sign him to the nine million dollars. Let's call it eight. Let's call it nine. You know what I mean? It's right there. I think I think I saw MLB trade rumors had it at nine point three, and they're close usually, but sometimes overestimated. So let's call it eight and a hook, right? You sign him, and then you trade him if things go badly and he hits well. And if not, you count it as a dead loss because that's what it is this way if you non-tender him. There, there is just no reason that there, – there really is no reason that a franchise like the Cubs should have to make a decision like this with $8 million at the forefront. $8 million is something you should be able to swallow. $8 million is something you should be able to deal with being wrong on. Yeah, COVID sucks for every office and for every workplace and for every baseball team. It is still true that that $8 million should not hamstring the Chicago Cubs. It's just it's just the case. I, I wish that they'd be able to give him another swing at things, because just, just from an asset standpoint, you can't let things devalue this much. I think it's interesting, too, like with Schwarber, I think they, you know, Jed talked about it in all the interviews that he gave. Yeah, we're going to stay in touch with Casey Close, his agent. We're going to see if we can work anything out. I, I doubt they will. But I I doubt they will because bringing Kyle Schwarber back on like, I don't know, call it a $3 million deal or whatever means you are still rolling with the core that you've rolled with the last four or five years. And if nothing else, having to let go of Kyle Schwarber at $8.5 million frees you up roster wise to, you know, to find your 400, 500 at bats from some other guy that wasn't as disappointed in the last three years. Kyle Schwarber got, you know, won't get picked back up by the Cubs as for, for every reason, including the fact that they have to stay with Bryant and they have to stay with Rizzo and they have to stay with Bias and they have to stay with Contreras, you know, until any one of them are traded, they can't roll that same thing back out there. It's, it's just a weird place for this franchise to have gotten. To your point, I, I feel like if they if they end up getting Kyle Schwarber at a three million dollar right, then that's that's kind of a win. It, it depends on how many years it would be. The other thing I, I'm kind of wondering, Connor, is that's another spot in the field you got to fill now. Now you now you need a left fielder. You you got to go and find a left yeah. fielder, and it's it's already difficult to figure out what you're doing with the guys you have. Like now, what kind of route are you going to take when that position is open? You need an everyday left fielder now. And I'm not saying you need to find somebody that's going to be better than Kyle Schwarber, but I would think that that's the point of paying him that 8 to 9 whatever for 2021 because, okay, we're gambling this 8 to $9 million on what we can get in return for Kyle Schwarber. And I understand that's a tall ask, but at least it's something. And your left fielder of 2021 – shouldn't make a difference if you're World Series caliber for 2022. Like, what happens from that left fielder should help your chances of winning the World Series later on. So, I like, again, I, I don't know how many times I've said, yeah, go go ahead and shop around. I always thought of Kyle Schwarber as a, a throw-in type piece for if the Cubs decide to move on from uh, somebody big, whether it's money-wise or just name-wise. But the, the fact that they walk away non-tendering him shows me they do not have faith in his short-term success 
for 2021. Yeah, and it's it's not like the Cubs it's not like the Cubs are in on George Springer in the outfield. You know, it's not like they're in on on any of the top names. I don't think Michael Brantley is a guy they're interested in. I don't think, you know, I mean I I can't see them signing anyone at the you know, let's call it 8 million dollar mark because that's just not where their finances are. They're looking to cut bait. And I I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're still trading Chris Bryant in this offseason, which I I think gets you to who is that left fielder that comes in or le- yeah, who is that left fielder that comes in? It's it's probably the dude that comes back in the Bryant trade. Yeah. You know, I mean it's whether that's Bodie or or you know, whatever playing third base. You know, the, the guy that comes back to fill Kyle Schwarber's shoes is is more than likely a guy that comes in through the Chris Bryant trade. And it'll probably be the only guy that comes in in the Chris Bryant trade. Because it, it'd probably be, well, I suppose it'd be major league ready guy who's probably a 4A player that you're taking a swing on, regardless of whatever position that is, and then a throw-in arm. That's it's about what I expect them getting for Chris Bryant at this juncture. I mean, I don't know. Is there is there maybe the case with left field now open? You put Chris Bryant out there, and then you showcase his versatility a little bit more to increase his trade value. And it, and again, this is all under the assumption that you're trading Chris Bryant mid year right. rather than during this offseason. Well, and, and I'm with you, man. I mean, that's the baseball play. Is you these you can't make players like Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber. You can't make all of them sunk costs in the same offseason. You have to try and get the most value you possibly can out of them. For me, that means keeping all of them until the deadline and selling them all when you've got more certainty and more answers in the baseball marketplace. But because you don't have any of those things, you still have to keep Chris Bryant because he's not a guy you just give up on. That's ludicrous. Is it a gamble? Sure. Is he Has he been banged up and and underperforming and and unable to hit like Chris Bryant did in his MVP season? Yeah, he certainly has. But that doesn't mean you just, you know, discard him and hope you pick up something better from the deck. That's not how baseball works. We've all seen that. It, it's funny you start bringing up that analogy because I, I was literally just thinking, what what is a Kyle Schwarber hand heading into the 2021 season with all things involved? You know, you're playing poker, what, you get like, an eight, no, let's say a two and a jack, both different suits, and you're like, yeah, well, this is pretty good, but jacks have been sucking for me the last few hands, so I'm just going to fold right. right now. I, that's that's where I just don't totally understand the whole process of walking away. I understand moving on from Kyle Schwarber, but just this process of doing it, just it just leaves the opportunity for regret because I, I just totally see this guy maybe figuring things out and I know that's kind of a contradictory statement but it's just he's totally a guy that I can see helping another team moving forward and again maybe that's not like that wouldn't have happened if he stayed on the Cubs I get that I'm okay with that but but just to let it walk is is a totally different situation were you ever leading up to the deadline were you ever seriously uh thinking that the Cubs might non-tender Chris Bryant no but because of all the talk that Schwarber was going to be non-tendered. Um, and, and honestly, if if they happened to non-tender Chris Bryant, I would have been having the same argument but with a little bit more rage because 
I don't know who's more valuable at this point. It's clearly Chris Bryant, actually, if you're looking from the Cubs' standpoint. But yeah, it's it's the same situation, although now you're dealing with a former Rookie of the Year and NL MVP. I mean, it's the same situation. I, you know, that Schwarber's interesting because he brings us to Carlos Rodon on the White Sox side of the discussion. They're both the it's part of the 2014 draft class. That's Brady Aiken one, Tyler Kolek two, Carlos Rodon out of NC State, and then Kyle Schwarber out of Indiana, three and four. The rest of that top 10, I'm just going to breeze through this real quick before we get to Carlos Rodon, and then we'll swing back to the 2014 draft. Because it is so weird, a draft. The rest of the top 10, after Schwarber, Nick Gordon, who is still a top prospect for the Minnesota Twins, playing short, although, you know, he's had some setbacks. Alex Jackson, Aaron Nola, Kyle Freeland, Jeff Hoffman, and Michael Conforto are the rest of that top 10. With Carlos Rodon leaving the White Sox, I you know, first and foremost, Rodon was the guy to take at three in that draft. Rodon is not a he is not a flop in my estimation. He is not a bust. He made it to the big leagues. He pitched some pretty convincing baseball up until the point where his shoulder fell off and then had to be surgically reattached. The guys who are busts in that draft are Brady Aiken, who never made the bigs, and Tyler Kolek who never made the bigs, and Jeff Hoffman, whose arm fell off three or four times. Like, those are busts from that draft. It's not great to get the outcome you did from what I thought was the top pitcher in that draft, but he's not a bust. It's disappointing, but he's not a bust. Before we go into Carlos Rodon, yeah, the uniqueness of this draft is just mesmerizing. Uh, I saw Nick Gordon play for Cedar Rapids in the minors, and I honestly thought he had a chance to be better than his brother. I don't know, maybe he still does, but he blew me away at the single-A level. Uh, Clearly, uh, the competing talent caught up to him. But what's funny is Tyler Kolek, not funny, but ironic, Tyler Kolek was pitching in single-A ball last season as well, uh, still in the Marlins organization. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wild draft. How about the fact that Carlos Rodon, Cody Medeiros, uh, Casey Gillespie, and then I thought there was one more. Like, all have ties. Oh, Michael Kopech was drafted by the Red Sox in the 33rd overall selection there. I mean, all these guys have White Sox connections, and now everyone talking about the Sox going after Kyle Schwarber. We'll get to that later. Um, but, yeah, very, very interesting, just weird draft to look at, especially if you've got some minor league ties. It's just it's it's really interesting. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the Carlos Rodon conversation I mean this was a guy that you know the beginning of 2020 it was okay like here's here's his launching off part of his career where he's he's gotten past all those injuries and and I I like how you worded it with how he's not a bust because I've said it before and and this is coming from what he said this is a guy that always succeeded at at every step in his baseball career he was the best pitcher in high school he was USA baseball in college, high draft pick. So, I mean, for him to fail just kind of ate him up inside and to not be able to make himself better immediately because of being injured, I think took a huge toll on him. Uh, we saw at the beginning of 2020, he's an emotional guy, just had a daughter, so that, that gave him a little rejuvenation in his, his baseball career. So, I, I, I'm with you. It's It's not... 
it's not a bad take by the White Sox. In that situation, they probably do it again. They probably should do it again. Um, I will say, it, it, I do remember the time of the draft where White Sox fans were gloating over how better it was that they lost just a few games more than the Cubs so that they could get Carlos Rodon rather than Kyle Schwarber. Yep. Um, heck, I, I saw Kyle Schwarber's first game in Kane County, and me and Wayne Randazzo are are watching the draft as it's happening with Kane County, and he's like, oh, I did some of his games at, at Indiana. I'm like, the guy mashes the ball, but I can't believe he's number four overall. So, you know, that, that Schwarber uh, fable continues. Um, but, yeah, interesting 2014 draft. It is wild that both both guys that the Cubs and Sox selected were non-tendered on the same day. How about this? I know it's just backtracking a little bit more with Kyle Schwarber. Kyle Schwarber was non-tendered. Dan Vogelbach was not. Dan Vogelbach was tendered by the Milwaukee Brewers. I get the money is the reason why those are two different scenarios. Yeah. But that's kind of interesting. There's about $7 million of difference between one (laughs) and the other. Not many pounds, uh, but just about $7 million of difference. So let me ask this then. Does Schwarber fit the White Sox? Or is this just lazy work by those of us, and I'm saying us because here we are on the podcast talking about it, by those of us in Chicago who just want to fit an old player from the north side onto the south side or vice versa. The the White Sox need an outfielder. They need a left-handed power hitter. They need someone who can play better defense than Nomar Mazzara. And they, well, I think that's about everything they need, right? I mean, that's 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 all the things. And certainly Schwarber doesn't do all of those things, but he does a good number of them, and and maybe the ones that they need him to do most. I I don't know if I'd call it lazy. I get where you're getting at, though. I think when you look at the Cubs and the Sox over the past, let's say, well, six years, the way that their teams have been and their organizations have been, the stages they've been in, they're always up for this conversation of let's trade somebody to one side for, for this prospect or, or, or whatnot. I mean, heck, wasn't there the rumors out there that the White Sox were looking at Kyle Schwarber when Jose Quintana was traded? And That's then right. They, That's they right. settled for Eloy Jimenez. So, I mean, this conversation's been ongoing for quite some time. Uh, I don't know if it's lazy. I I, I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, yeah, I guess I would say surprised because I just don't see the White Sox making Kyle Schwarber a main priority. Um, it, it fits because you've got two subpar left fielders who should be DH when you team up a Schwarber and a Jimenez. But, okay, I guess you can put him out there and right. But, I mean, the whole point, like the whole goal for the White Sox right now is go after a strong starting pitcher and then fill the holes offensively, right? I mean, so if they go after Kyle Schwarber before anyone else, barring what type of money you're giving him, I, I don't think that that's, that's the way the White Sox want to go. Schwarber's a C-list move by any franchise that picks him up, right? I mean, he's not a first choice. He's not a second choice. He's he's likely third. And you know, if if he does go to a team that's going to ask him to play defense, that's going to ask him to play some outfield, I I would tell that fan base that he's better than people are going to tell you he is. He is still a bad left fielder. He is he's the very top of the bad tier of left fielder. He is as good a bad left fielder as you could possibly be. I mean, for the White Sox, it's it's still I mean, in my mind, 
it's still go sign George Springer. That's A number one, top of the list, go sign George Springer. I I, I think that starting pitching is has got to be toward the top of the list as well. And if, you know, if you really do have dreams of Trevor Bauer, which I doubt, but maybe, if you really do have dreams of like a top-tier starter, then you may have to dial back on the George Springer wish list. But for my money, you know, that that rotation gets thin quickly. You saw that they kept Reynaldo Lopez for something in the 2 to $3 million range. I forget the exact amount, but let's call it two and a half. That's needed depth because once you get to, you know, Cease and Kopech and Dunning, and you're hoping you get a full season of starts out of the three of those guys combined, essentially, given their health and everything else, certainly you could get more. But the baseline there is probably something like 45 starts out of those three guys, probably. Um, then you then you go to Lopez, and now with letting Carlos Rodon go, like where where are the rest of those starts coming from? There's there's two, three, four arms that probably still have to get into the White Sox organization before I feel good about just the the depth of the starting pitching, much less the top three. So are you on the side of the Sox need starting pitching more than a right fielder? Unless it's George Springer. I think if you because I think he's that good a player. Okay. I, I think if you get you know, I, I think boiling this down is, is probably a little unfair to the pitchers we're probably gonna talk about, but if you're signing Springer and then signing like two threes and a five, I'm okay. But if you're not signing Springer, then you need a guy that is a two or, in you know, in Bauer's case, is a one. But, you know, probably with Giolito, you're still starting Giolito opening day because he's not a penis. And Trevor Bauer kind of is. <laughs> um, wow. So, so that's an interesting take because, I mean, going off of last year, I would say, well, yeah, the White Sox need a starter more than a right fielder because you saw how they fared in a best of three series how the hell are they going to go out and win a best of five series let alone a best of seven series if they basically have two starting pitchers but it's that depth that is also in the conversation but there's still so much uncertainty with what kind of Dylan Cease are you going to get next year what kind of Reynaldo Lopez are going to are you going to get next year what type of Michael Kopech are you going to get next year yeah and the and the fact that Dane Dunning as of right now is the most promising of those four still leads me to believe they need a starter more than anything. But I I understand where you're coming from with with George Springer and then just more of adding to the depth. Um, It's tricky, man. It it really is. Uh, Because, like, the selling point of this team right now is the offense. But I will say this Ethan Katz guy really seems like they took into account fixing Dylan Cease and Reynaldo Lopez when going after this guy, or at least hiring this guy, because he seems on top of it. He's got quite the track record. The other thing I noticed about this guy is he's just basically been promoted six times in seven years, so so the guy just keeps ascending, um, and I don't know. It just it, maybe Maybe this is more important than signing a starting pitcher. I know that's a it's high aspirations for a pitching coach, but who knows? Maybe maybe that's what it takes. Yeah, I, you know, the, the middle tier of starters isn't all that inspiring, so I get where you're... 
I, I, I get where you'd like the top end guy over, over the rest. Like I'm, I'm good on James Paxton. I think that body's pretty beat up, unfortunately, because I, I, I love the big maple, but yeah, I think he's pretty beat up at this point. Masahiro Tanaka's elbow has worried me for three years. Kevin Gosman is, you know, an arm you can dream on, I think, but it's a lot of dreams. I don't think they're ripe for a Jose Quintana comeback. Taiwan Walker is somewhat interesting, but mostly because he has a handful of effective surgeries. He seems to be healthy after Tommy John, and he's only 28 years old. So that's fun, but those aren't the things that I really want to, you know, like I'm not leaning on that for, hey, we fixed the rotation because we think Taiwan Walker's arm is held together with more than paper clips and bubble gum. Like, I, I don't, and he's 28. You know, I, I, that's not enough. Uh, Mike Miner just went off the board, and Jake Odorizzi's somewhat interesting, I guess. But if you're telling me that, like, the White Sox offseason, you know, shopping list ends with Jock Peterson and, I, I don't know, like a, like a Robbie Ray thing... And then another flyer on a starter, that's that's not mission accomplished for me. I just love the idea of being 28 years old post-Tommy John and being categorized as fun. Um, but yeah, I, I hear you because basically all those guys that you mentioned or the majority of them just sound like the same type of pitcher or the same type of player available. And uh, I, I know I'm throwing this at you, but something that intrigues me, and this is not part of the rotation, but Archie Bradley, he's available. He would not be as expensive as Alex Colomay, which it seems like all that talk is just talk between them, him and the White Sox, but he's younger, he's cheaper than Colomay, and he does have a little experience with Tony La Russa from their Diamondbacks days. I don't know. That might be something to look at. Um, and nowadays you're signing closers for shorter term deals. At least a wise team would do that. And that seems pretty safe and pretty fair for both parties involved. So th- once he came available off the Reds, I that kind of sparked my interest with the White Sox. I'm I'm for Archie Bradley. I, I like the track record. I like his stuff. I like his moxie. Um not that you're gonna pay a whole lot for Moxie. I just kinda like it and I thought I'd mention it. I you know another guy that I, I was hoping that either the White Sox or the Cubs could take a flyer on um is Corey Kniebel. And I it it makes sense that the Dodgers traded for him and then tendered him a contract because I, I thought he had a real good chance at bounce back, you know, kind of stuff. And if the Dodgers pick you up, it's it's likely that you'll, you know, bounce back just fine and be fantastic. And then, you know, they'll deal you for Uber prospects and, and you'll be just fine. Um, Colton Wong do anything for you if you were on either side of town? Obviously less so if you're the White Sox because that's a player that, that doesn't play the position. Um, you know, you well, you've got second base kind of manned, but... It, it we're not too far away from Mike Matheny turning Colton Wong into an outfielder as he hated him and couldn't play a good player because he's Mike Matheny. Yeah, I mean, it It, it kind of seems like a very Cubs move um, after, you know, trying out Daniel Descalzo and uh, Steven Souza Jr. I mean, guys would just, or I, I, more like Jason Kipnis, I guess I should say. Um yeah, I don't hate it. Like anything, it's going to come down to the years and the money. 
Um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, because we talked about it, how surprising it was that the Cardinals just, just let him go. And, again, that's just the world, the baseball world we're living in right well, now. Well, and that's what's really hard here. Like, if I'm – okay, so I'm on the Athletics' top 40 free agents for this offseason, right? And George Springer is number one. Rail Muto is number two. Bauer is number three. Marcus Stroman is number four, okay? And once you get to Bauer – it's, it's three guys that deserve real contracts, that deserve pre-2020 money. And that's Springer, and it's Real Muto, and it's Bauer. And then you get to Stroman, and Ozuna, and Semyon, and LeMahieu, and Gregorius, and Wong, and Jackie Bradley Jr. And I think all of those guys could have to take real hits because of a post-COVID marketplace. And I, which, which means I have, I have no idea... No idea what to tell you in terms of how many the White Sox could go get at a price. Or, you know, I know the Cubs financially are in a different place. Or what quality of player the Cubs might be able to go get probably for their one big free agent offseason move, right? I just, I don't know. And, and neither does really anybody else. That's why I just think it's, it's going to end up being a lot of short-term deals, a lot of one-year deals, because it's just it's the easiest thing for both parties. It's, hey, hey, man, you know we can't pay you that much, but we'll pay you for a year, and it's better than what you're going to get. So just go ahead and do this. And, and it's, it's 2020. Let's get weird. Let's do those things. Let's, let's see guys jump around team to team. I mean, we are so past the days of a player spending his entire career with one oh, team. Yeah. So... Let, let's let's just play musical chairs with free agents and, and players and see what happens in 2021 and 22. Last year, I, I bet Dan Bernstein, uh, I gave him an over-under for players that would sign during spring training. Uh, I won the bet, the over-hit. And I, I think the number was something like 24 and a half, I, I think is where it was. Wow. And there were 26 players that signed major league contracts during spring training. And and that was a spring training got cut short too, right? Like I cleared the bar pretty easily. <laughs> I I don't know what the number to set yet, but I would say you're going to see a a large large number of players sign very very late into spring training because of all the stuff that we just don't know. And and I think you're right, Joe. I think if I'm Jackie Bradley Jr. Or if I'm Masahiro Tanaka, you know, players into their 30s with some injury issues and, you know, looking for a bounce back kind of thing, I'm even more inclined to sign a one-year deal because I, my next one-year deal could be three times the value given how depressed this marketplace could be. Well, the whole other factor of that is when is spring training and how long where will yeah. it be and where will it be? I mean, of course, it'll probably still be in Arizona and Florida, but I, I've heard rumors that spring training will take place in April and then they'll start the season in May. So yeah, I would definitely hit the hard over of that number. Um, here's something I would like to see. How about with the next CBA, they make sure that doesn't happen. You know, there's, there's some sort of free agent deadline. So we're not doing this where things just keep getting pushed and pushed and pushed and you're signing a Craig Kimbrell in June and he turns out to be not Craig Kimbrell anymore. I mean, that, that'd be something I think all parties would be in involved or happy about right as you know i love the idea and I've, I've thrown out a couple of different ideas as to how you could avoid the the obvious consequence right so it's like let's say you're craig kimbrell last year and you don't get signed by the free agent deadline why do you have to suffer any kind of penalty right like oh now you can't sign players for another three months well how is that fair 
you know, to, to Craig Kimbrell. I think there's a way to kind of ameliorate some of those issues, but I've yet to find one that, that actually incentivizes the team to, to truly sign that player. But if we're talking about, you know, Major League Baseball making some sort of uh, some sort of rule that puts the spurs to individual teams, all about it. I am I am all for the pros and, and trying to find a way to mitigate the cons in that circumstance. Yeah, it's it's frustrating because there are so many things to clean up between the players and the owners, and all that's happening is just demise and both both sides arguing and generating more and more anger and hatred towards each other so that is that's a little discerning and it fits 2020 is what it does it fits you know it's team entropy it's just just a slow decline in the inevitable heat death of the universe i guess <laughs> that's a good place as any is to end episode 31 right the heat death of the universe baseball's fun come back for episode 32 i promise It'll be more fun than the end of this one. He's Joe. I'm Connor. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on the Baseball From Home podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.